0: All right, New Life East, if you're not already standing, I wanna invite you to stand as we get ready to declare our faith this morning, as we declare the Nicene Creed together. If this is unfamiliar to you, we do this every Sunday at New Life East. And part of this is to sort of align ourselves with the long-standing history of the church to declare the things that the church has sort of agreed and anchored themselves in for the, for the thousands of years that the church has existed. So would you join with me today We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. And we all said together, amen.
1: Amen. Good to see you this morning, New Life East. You can be seated. If this is your first time with us, Uh, my name is Andrew. I'm the lead pastor here, and it's a joy to have you with us this morning. Do you know what I saw in my lawn yesterday when I was taking the dog out? Green grass. Guys, Easter is upon us. Resurrection, spring, new creation, it's all there for us. Uh, We're making the transition this morning. We've been in a series the last bunch of weeks uh, called Who is God? Look at the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And during the first eight weeks or so, we looked at who the Father is for us, particularly by looking at texts in the Old Testament that reveal something to us of his nature and his character and his identity. And now we make the transition into talking about God the Son, and so we'll pivot into the New Testament. One of the things that if you've ever read the Old Testament— or maybe you've heard scholars say this before, uh, the Old Testament really is a story that's in search of a conclusion. It sort of just leaves you hanging with the question lingering in the air, like, will God's people ever really be faithful? And will God deliver on all of the promises that he has made to his people? It's awaiting a conclusion. And when we come to Jesus, we come to the conclusion of the story that God had been telling about himself And his people in the Old Testament, and all over the New Testament, we see there are these little summary statements that help us understand that. For instance, Galatians chapter 4 and verse 4. This is one of the earliest writings of the New Testament that we have. The Apostle Paul writes, But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son born of a woman, born under law. And then Paul goes on to say to redeem those under the law that we might receive the full rights. so when the time had fully come, in other words, there was something that had to mature, something that had to come to the appropriate uh, completion, and then all of a sudden God steps on the stage of history in the person of Jesus. So it closes up a sort of era of God's dealings with human beings or a script, another scripture that we have by now become reasonably familiar with, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are, yes, where? In Christ, in this person, Jesus the Jew, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered, crucified under Pontius Pilate, raised on the third day, think about that. It's just a thing to take in. That no matter how many things God has said about himself, no matter how many promises God has made to his people, to humanity, all of them somehow piled together in this one person, Jesus of Nazareth. And so when we turn our attention to Jesus of Nazareth, we're seeing all that it is to be God and all that it is to be human, which is what we'll talk about today. And so we're going to spend the next bunch of weeks leading up to Easter uh, working through what the Gospels have to say about Jesus. And then when we get to resurrection, we're just going to linger in resurrection for a while. We'll spend about four weeks thinking about who Jesus Christ and his resurrected state is for us. A personal note on this, I have been a Christian all of my life. And I cannot think, you know, I remember being a kid and uh, actually, I remember being a kid and also during my teenage years, there were times that people would say like, can you, uh, can you circle the date when you first, you know, trusted in Jesus in your life? Like, can you circle your spiritual birthday on the calendar? And I can't do that. Do you know why? Because I cannot think of a time in my life when I did not know and love and trust Jesus. Always close. And what I have discovered about Jesus is that he just keeps getting better and better and better and better. And so I have this anticipation as we go over the next couple of months or so, That there's going to be a, some of you have been in this for a long time, 30 years, 40 years, 50 years. And uh, if Jesus Christ is inexhaustible God, then that means that for the rest of eternity, as long as we are getting to know him, we still will have barely scratched the surface of who he is. So my prayer for all of us is that we see something new of Jesus Christ in these weeks that we spend together. So we say, Lord Jesus, come among us. Thank you that you're present with us. Thank you that you're our teacher. Thank you that you're our helper. Thank you that you are inexhaustible God, which means that there is no end to the search after you. And yet you're God for us in human flesh. You deliver yourself over to us in a way that we can understand, the way that makes sense. And so Paul is constantly praying for the churches that he loves. He says, I'm praying that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. And that's what we're praying this morning. Open the eyes of our hearts. Help us see. Help us see who you are. Help us see how you're calling us. Help us see what it means to be human in your world. We're looking to you. We trust you. We're asking that the scriptures would break forth with new life and light and insight for us. And that we'd locate ourselves again in the kingdom of God and the call of the Lord because of what is spoken this morning to come. May the words of the preacher's mouth and the meditation of the hearer's hearts Be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said. Let's begin at the beginning of the story about Jesus. This is Matthew chapter 1. I'm going to start in verse 18. The scripture says, this is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through who? Through the Holy Spirit, that's right. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had a mind to divorce her quietly. But after he'd considered this an angel, the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from who? The Spirit, directly from God. And she will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from all their sins. So pull his people up out of the mire of sin that they've fallen into. And all of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, that the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him what? Amen. Which means what? God with us, right? Here at the beginning of the story of Jesus, we begin to get some glimpse of who Jesus Christ is for us. And we say it every week when we gather here for worship in the creed. We say we believe in one Lord who? Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father. Come on, we just did it. I know that you know it. God from, life from. Right, that's it. That's it. There is this divine identity in Jesus. Who is he? He's the only begotten of God. Eternally begotten of the Father. God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. And then the creed, that second stanza, it pivots into talking about the earthly career of Jesus. What do we say about him in the second stanza? We say for us and for our salvation. What happened? He came down from heaven. Come on, I need you to, this is, uh, we're all doing this together. He came down from heaven, was incarnate of the Holy Spirit and vir- the Virgin Mary, and he became a man. He became truly human. That there is this coming together of God, all that it is to be God and all that it is to be human in the person of Jesus, And the early creeds of the church, all of them in different ways wrestled with this divine human identity to try to get it just right. Is it the case that God sort of uh, takes on flesh as a kind of mirage? You know, the church says, no, 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 because he's truly human. Well, is it the case that God sort of hollows out a space for himself, you know, inside a human being and he kind of occupies it, you know, like an astronaut guiding a spaceship or something? Is it like the church goes, no, 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 no. He is, at the same time, all that it is to be God and all that it is to be man, which is what we see in this text. That this one, who is Messiah of the Jews, the human Messiah of the Jews, is also called Emmanuel, which means God with us. Right here, guys, we are at the central mystery that powers the whole Christian understanding of reality, namely this, that Jesus is both all that it is to be God. And he is, at the same time, all that it is to be human. And holding those things together, we cannot explain the incarnation. We can only bracket out inappropriate understandings of it and then worship at the reality of the incarnation. That's all that we can do. And when we begin to grasp these things, these, the dual nature of Christ, a whole bunch of things in the Gospels all of a sudden start coming into perspective. One of those things is the experience that most people have when they come around Jesus. And it's the experience of awe. It's the experience of wonder. It's the experience of amazement. And if you do a little search, you can do this when you go home, and I encourage you to do it. Just look up awe or wonder or amazement and track all the times that it appears in the Gospels because it's everywhere. It's like the characteristic response of people to Jesus is they go, wait, what was that? What just hit us? Think about the early chapter, the early chapters of Mark here. Mark chapter 1 and verse 22. Jesus is in the synagogue and he's beginning to teach. And the scripture says that all the people were what? They were amazed at his teaching. Why? Because he taught them as one who has authority, not as their teachers of the law. There was something about when Jesus would talk. You just knew that it had a kind of weight. There was a gravitas about it that was beyond just other human beings speaking about the Bible. Somehow when Jesus spoke, It led you to sit up and take notice. So I think about this moment in the book of Luke. Jesus is in the boat with his disciples and you know the story. A great storm comes uh, upon them and the boat is about to be capsized and the disciples went. Jesus is sleeping in the stern of the boat. And the disciples went and woke him saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. And he got up and he rebuked the wind and the raging waters and the storm subsided. Everything was calm. Verse 25, where is your faith? He asked his disciples and in fear and amazement. They asked one another, Who is this? He commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. But that, that's it. That Jesus moves in our midst, and all of a sudden we start, like, we're overcome with awe and with wonder and with amazement, and we start asking ourselves the question, Who is this? Who is this human person who's sleeping in the boat with us, and yet when we need him and we call upon him, he stands up and he commands the winds and the water, and they, like, little naughty children, all of a sudden, they go, what's that? They behave. There's something more going on with Jesus than just a normal human being. I think about this moment later in Luke, after Jesus is raised from the dead, the scripture says they're all sitting around, the disciples are sitting around, talking about the early reports that the tomb is empty. And while they were still talking about this, all of a sudden, Jesus himself, the scripture actually says that the doors to where they were meeting were locked because they were so afraid of what might happen to them with this news that had gotten out. And while they were still talking about this, all of a sudden Jesus himself stood among them. How did he get in there? We don't really know. He said, what? Peace be with you. And they were start- startled and frightened, thinking that they saw a ghost. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your minds? And look at my hands and my feet. He said, it's not myself. Touch me and see. A ghost doesn't have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. Which still have open wounds in them, and yet they are not bleeding, and yet he lives? Who is this? And while they still didn't believe it because of joy, and what's the word there? Amazement. He asked them, do you have anything here to eat? Can you imagine what these disciples are? What is going on? Somehow Jesus appears, and they think that they see a ghost, but he says, it's not a ghost. Here, you can touch me. You can see my hands and my feet where they pierced my hands and my feet and my side. I actually am the human person that you once knew, except now much more than that. And then he says that he's hungry, and so they gave him a piece of broil. What is even happening here? And he took it and he ate it. in their pre- Who is this person who stands among us, who stands fully in the presence of God as the very presence of God, and yet also stands in the presence of human beings as a human being? Guys, When we encounter Jesus Christ, this is what happens to us. Something in our mind starts to fray at the seams. It pulls apart and we experience the awakening of awe and wonder. One of the great theologians of the early church, Origen, said this, that when we see in him something so human that they appear to differ in no respect from the common frailty of mortals, And something so divine that they are appropriate to nothing else but that primal and ineffable nature of divinity. I love this. The narrowness of human understanding is bewildered and struck with amazement at so great a wonder. It knows not where to turn, right? Or what to hold on to or whither to take to itself. For for, next slide. If it thinks of God, it sees a mortal human being. And yet, if it per, but if it thinks of a human being, it perceives him returning from the dead with spoils after conquering the kingdom of death. <laughs> Who is it that we're dealing with in Jesus? We're dealing with the entire mystery of what it means to be God and the entire mystery of what it means to be human all together in one person. And if we find ourselves struck with wonder and amazement and knowing not what to hold on to and completely lost and turning about in circles. because That's what should happen to us. That encounter, that moment, that is the beginning of the conversion of our minds and our hearts and our bodies to the kingdom of God. I think about the great story of the Russian novelist, uh, Fyodor Dostoevsky in the middle part of the 20th century. He was an atheist and running around with this group of atheists and social revolutionaries. And Dostoevsky as a young man was thrown in prison for his beliefs and his political involvements. And he's sitting there in prison at the absolute bottom of the pit. Like, what has become of my life and stupid decisions that I've made? And what am I doing? And somebody had given him a Bible. The wife of one of his close friends had given him a Bible. And so he pulls out the New Testament while he's sitting there in his prison cell. He begins to read the New Testament. And as he's reading these descriptions of Jesus and what the New Testament has to say about Jesus, he said that he was overcome, I love this, who is overcome with the radiant personality of Christ. Who is this one who is so human and yet so godlike? Who is this one who forgives sins and raises the dead? Who is this one who is utterly compassionate and forgiving? Who is this one whose teaching has this ring of truth and clarity about it? It would have never come from a human pen, and yet it explains the human— Who is this person— And he's overcome at the radiant personality of Jesus. He gives his life to the Lord in a prison cell. And later he says this. He said, if it could be proven to me that Christ were outside of the truth, he said, I would prefer to remain with Christ than with the truth. (laughs) Doesn't that ring true to your own experience? That you can't quite explain Jesus. And yet something of what Jesus has done to you and in you has so overwhelmed you that you go, "I, I don't like wherever you go. That's where I'm going to go, Jesus. And wherever you stay, I'm going to stay. And your people are going to be my people and your God, my God, Jesus, I'm I'm clinging to you. Guys, that's what wonder does at Jesus. Wonder opens our minds up to the reality of who God is. One of our great contemporary authors, uh, David James Duncan, put it like this. He said that we can seek truth without wonder's assistance, but seek is all that we'll ever do. There will be no finding until wonder descends. And unlocks us and turns us slack-jawed as a plastic shepherd. Truth is unable to enter. Wonder may be the aura of truth, the halo of it, or something even closer. It might be the caress of truth touching our very skin. Wonder is unknowing, experienced as pleasure. That's the encounter with Jesus. Who are you? Are you God? Are you hu- human? Yes! Yes! How does that work? There's no way for me to explain that to you. So something all of a sudden starts breaking down in us and truth finds its way into our being because we're struck dumb with wonder at Jesus. We can't explain the incarnation. We can't explain how God is, Jesus is both God and man. And we can't explain it. But what do we do? We fall down in wonder and amazement at it. And we put our confidence in it and somehow it starts changing everything. I think about a story I've told here before, but there was a gal that I ran into when I was in seminary. She was an atheist born and raised in a non-Christian home and her parents sent her to a Jesuit college in the area, Loyola. And while she was there, she had to take classes on Jesus and the Gospels. So she's reading the stories of Jesus and the Gospels and she's reading the Sermon on the Mount for the first time and starting to come to grips with what Jesus taught. And I remember she came to me We were working at a restaurant together. She came to me. She goes, hey, uh, you're studying to be a pastor, right? And I said, yeah. She goes, well, so that means you read the Bible pretty frequently? I was like, yeah. And she goes, well, I'm taking this class, and we're supposed to read the New Testament. We're reading about Jesus. And she said, so I'm at that place uh, where Jesus, like, it's like Matthew, and he's got this block of teaching, and it's all really profound. I said, the Sermon on the Mount. She goes, yeah, that's it. And she goes, I'm reading through the Sermon on the Mount. You know that part in it? where Jesus says, if you don't physically commit adultery, but you do it in your heart, it's kind of like you are actually doing it. I said, yeah, I've read that part. I said, what do you think about that? She goes, well, I've always believed that to be true. And I said, that's fascinating. She goes, yeah, it's crazy. She goes, the more I read of Jesus and the more that I encounter Jesus, the more I keep thinking to myself, he's right. <laughs> Something about what Jesus says and does It like confirms the things that I really believe to be actually true. And I keep, he's right, he's right, he's right. And I said, her name is Catherine. I said, Catherine, I've been a believer all of my life. And I've been reading the Bible all all my life. And I said, I have that experience over and over again. And actually, the farther you get with Jesus, the more you start realizing that he's more right than you ever imagined he was right when you first started thinking he was right. Jesus is always like better than we thought. He's always like more right than we ever possibly imagined. He's constantly... Erupting in our minds and breaking them open with new truth. But I said, the more you read Jesus, you know what else is going to happen to you? I said, I can almost guarantee that you're going to find yourself thinking, as you read his stories and his exploits and his teaching, that you're going to find yourself thinking, he must be more than just a man. And she said, I'll never forget this. She goes, I think that that's already happening to me. (laughs) I go, you better run with that. That's it, guys. That this God who once was lofty and uplifted and beyond all things somehow has come staggeringly close to us in the person of Jesus without leaving behind any of his lofty or upliftedness. That he's both the transcendent God and he's the imminent one in our midst. And every time we encounter him, we find that we're undone by the reality of Jesus. And if what the gospels teach us about Jesus is true, then I want to say this, we'll press the insight about Jesus, the central paradox, mystery of the incarnation will press it yet further. If what the gospels teach us about Jesus is true, then in Jesus we see both who and who else with the clearest possible eyes. We see both God and ourselves, our nature, our origin, our destiny as human beings, with the clearest possible eyes. Jesus is not just a picture for us of what it means to be God. But Jesus is a picture for us of what it means to be human. We see both God and we see who we are and where we're going with the clearest possible eyes. And let me tell you, this is vitally important. But I think about all of the people that I've talked to over the years that have had difficulties with faith because of their notions, some of which they've gathered up from Christianity, and some of which they've gathered up from popular teaching about God or just cultural references or whatever, they've come close or they have lost their faith. They'll come to me and they'll say, You know, Andrew, I can't, like, I, I either am not a Christian anymore or I could never possibly be a Christian. And I'll ask them the question, Why? Why? And they'll say, Because I could never worship a God who, you ever had that conversation with people? Fill in the blank. I could never worship a God who did this thing. I could never worship a God who did that thing. I could never worship a God who treated people like this or treated people like that. I could never worship that God. Or maybe all they've really read is the Old Testament and they've sort of pulled the worst things that we see about God together from that and they've constructed their image of God from that thing. I think about the great 20th century atheist philosopher Richard Dawkins passed away several years ago and he said this. He said that the God of the Old Testament, and I think a lot of people feel this way, maybe you feel this way, that the God of the Old Testament is arguably the most unpleasant character in all fiction. Jealous and proud of it, a petty, unjust, unforgiving control freak, a vindictive, bloodthirsty, ethnic cleanser, a misogynistic, homophobic, racist, infanticidal, genocidal, filicidal, pestilental, megalomaniacal, sadomasochistic, capriciously malevolent bully. End quote, I'm not going to rescue that for you. <laughs> but that's how a lot of people feel. And I think that that's not really a charitable reading of the Old Testament, having read the Old Testament my entire life. But I do think that if all you ever read about God or knew about God came from the Old Testament, you'd have a difficult time getting to the God who's been revealed in Jesus. We don't draw, again, if the incarnation is true, if what the church has always said about the Jesus who is both God and human beings is true, then what we see in Jesus is all that it is to be God. And we see God with the clearest possible eyes. And I think about this moment towards the end of the ministry of Jesus, John chapter 14, Jesus sitting together with his disciples and they're getting a little bit frustrated. You know, like Jesus, you've been speaking in enigmas and parables and mysteries. Why don't you just all lay it all out there for us as clearly as possible. Philip says, Lord, I love this. Would you just show us the Father and that will be enough for us. And maybe you've prayed that prayer before. God, or you just show me yourself? And that'll be enough. Like, stop it with the enigmas and the parables and the riddles and the mysteries. Show me yourself. And that will be enough. And Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been you among you such a long time? Anyone who has, has seen who? How can you say, show us the Father? Jesus goes on to say, Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? Anyone who has seen me has seen who. See, sometimes, guys, what we do with Jesus is we go, well, Jesus, you know, is like God. And so then we take our notions of God and we pile them all into Jesus. But Jesus doesn't do that, does he? Jesus doesn't say that I am like God. (laughs) Jesus says that whatever you've seen in me, that is... It's not that Jesus is like God, it's that God is like Jesus. (laughs) Jesus is God without remainder. So that when you come to those places in the Old Testament that are difficult, you go, I don't, how could God behave like that? How could he make those sorts of decisions? What's going on there? And you find yourself lost in the midst of that? Where do you go back to? To Jesus. Because as Paul says in Colossians chapter 1, Jesus is the image of who? the invisible god. He's the image of the invisible God. So that when we get lost in our spirits and we're not sure what is God like? Does God really love me? Is he really for me? Does God really care about me? Does he include me? Does God will my healing and my wholeness and my restoration? Is God a respecter of persons? We keep going back to Jesus and we see who God is with the clearest possible eyes. We anchor our understanding as God in the person of Jesus. But it's not just our understanding of God that we anchor in the person of Jesus. But we anchor all that we know and all that we believe about what it means to be human in the person of Jesus. And I also think about those people that have a difficult time with faith because of what they've seen of Christians, what they've seen happening in the church. I think about a friend of mine years ago, who was a missionary to the Muslim world, did all kinds of incredible evangelistic work among Muslim people groups over there in the, in the Middle East. And one of the things that he would say to me you know, when we get together and we talk about the work that he was doing he was, is he would say, you know, one of the biggest challenges, Andrew, to trying to win Muslims over for Je- to Jesus is that he said, I'll sit down with them and we'll have Bible studies together and we'll read the gospels and we'll read the epistles and we'll encounter what the scripture says about Jesus, and I'll watch the hearts of my Muslim friends begin to burn with love and longing for Jesus. But they have a difficulty. And I said, what's the difficulty? And he said, well, for them, Jesus, to become a follower of Jesus, means that I have to become a Christian. And to become a Christian, the only thing that they know about Christians is whatever they've seen in the Western world from Americans— and so following Jesus means that I have to become a Christian, which means in some way I've got to sign up for whatever was going on in America. And he said, and the other thing that gets lumped in with that is American foreign policy <laughs> and all of the things that have come out of the White House vis-a-vis involvement here in the Arab world. And because they don't agree with all of the decisions that were made over in some faraway land about things taking place in their lands, they go I don't think that I can have anything to do with this. As much as I love Jesus and I'm fascinated by Jesus, I don't want to have anything to do with that. Now, you may be sitting here this morning going, "But I really like all the things that American foreign policy have done." And I'm not here to debate with you anything about that. But what I am saying is that there has to be a disentangling. That we're looking at Jesus and we're not saying that we're not saying that to sign up for Jesus means that we're signing up for everything that people now, all the people that have done stupid stuff in Jesus' name have done. And that's what I'm trying to say to you. Right? I think about some of the folks that I have talked to that were, they loved Jesus, were fascinated by Jesus, but they didn't want to become Christians in this country. People I've talked to and I've known. And they go, well, I, I'm not going to become a Christian. Why? Because I've seen all the things that have been done in His name. And I look at what's happening in the church. And I've seen all of these famous pastors and evangelists fall and commit a great atrocities in His name. And I don't want to have anything to do with that. Guys what we do is we keep coming back to Jesus. That Jesus is like the picture of what we believe about human beings. So this is why Paul says that we don't preach ourselves, but we preach who? Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. Or the writer of Hebrews says it so beautifully. He says that God has made human beings a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. But then he says... We don't see that of human beings just yet, but what do we see? We see Jesus. And because we see Jesus, we know something about where we're going. Guys, what I'm saying to you this morning is that the great effort of faith is to fix our eyes and our minds and our hearts continually upon Jesus. But He's our North Star, He's the one that guides us into the reality of God and the reality of what it means to be human beings. There's a story that's told in Matthew, Mark, and Luke about Jesus somewhere towards the midpoint of His ministry. The disciples have been with him now for a couple years and they've seen who he is and what he's done, but it's clear that they like need a moment of further unveiling. And so the scripture says that Jesus goes up on a high mountain with Peter, James, and John, his three closest disciples. And as he's up on the mountaintop, there he began to be transfigured before them. He all of a sudden shines with this bright light and his clothes become, Mark says, that his clothes become white, Whiter than any launderer in the world could ever bleach them. And as they're there on the mountaintop and Jesus is shining forth with the glory of God, the story goes that all of a sudden Moses and Elijah, the law and the prophets, all of a sudden appear next to Jesus, talking with Jesus, Jesus having a conversation with these greats of faith. And Peter is so staggered by what he sees that he goes, Master, it's good for us to be here. I got an idea. Why don't we put up three tabernacles? One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Like this would be great. This is like the Kingdom of God amusement park. We'll charge people 25 bucks or denarii or whatever it was in the first century, you know, to get in and we can make a lot of money. This would be great, you know. And all of a sudden the cloud appears and envelops them. Do you remember this? And the disciples, it says, were terrified as they entered the cloud and they fell face down and a voice spoke from the cloud do you remember what the voice said this is my son whom i love with him i am well pleased and then there's one more thing that the voice says that's it listen to who him and they look up and the law has faded away moses is gone and the prophets have faded away elijah is gone And they look up and they see Jesus standing there all by himself. And do you know what the first thing Jesus says is? Stand up, don't be afraid. That's the word of the risen Christ to us. Stand up, don't be afraid. But Jesus, I'm confused about this. Jesus, I'm confused about that. Jesus, I don't know where I'm going with my life. Jesus. I don't understand what God is or what God is like. Jesus says, do you remember what the voice said? Listen to me. Look to me. Guys, that's the challenge of faith. And it might be that there are some of you that are sitting here this morning and you are massively confused about your life and where you're going. And you're not sure if you can hang on anymore. Look to Jesus. And it might be that there are some of you sitting here this morning and you've got all of this fog and doubt and confusion in your mind about what God is like and what he wills for you. Look to Jesus. Because in him, we see all that it is to be God and all that it is to be human. And I have been in this my entire life. And I have been this close so many times to throwing it all away. And do you know what has gotten me through every single time? It's this. This is my son whom I love With him, I'm well pleased. Listen to him. Would you stand this morning? The great challenge of faith is keeping our eyes continually fixed upon Jesus. And I don't know what you're struggling with. I don't know what you're dealing with. I don't know what confusion you have in your heart about your life, the mystery of your own existence, where you're going, what you're doing, what will become of you. I'm saying that you put your faith in Jesus and he gets you through. And I don't know what you're carrying this morning, confusion in your heart, what you've got in your heart this morning about God that's got you all bent out of shape. Some of you this morning, you might be this close to cashing it all in and letting it all go. Your faith is dangling by a thread. Would you fix your eyes on Jesus? Church, can we right now begin to just put our faith and our hope again in Jesus? Jesus, we turn our attention to you. We turn our attention to you. And we want to say this morning that we repent and we're sorry for all of the ways in which we have gotten our eyes off of you. We pray that this morning you put our eyes and our heart, our affection, our devotion, our faith, that you would put it right back where it belongs, not you that we find ourselves resting again in the God made known in Jesus, his goodness and his love, his welcome, his embrace. The way that he includes us and reconciles us, we put our faith in you. And we also put our faith this morning as you, the one who reveals ourselves to us. The firstborn among many brethren, Jesus, you are where we are headed. (laughs) You say, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life, I'm your destiny, I'm your goal. And we put our faith in you and we pray that you'd cause fresh faith to arise in us this morning. Teach us again to fix our eyes and our hearts on Jesus. In the name of the Father. And in the name of the Son. And in the name of the Holy Spirit and all God's people said. Let's respond in worship. Pastor Rory is going to lead us to the table.
2: I On Christ the Son.
0: feast we're going to take communion in just a moment so i want to give you a second to grab those i want to invite you to, to join me in doing something this morning that might feel strange or a little bit different i want to invite you to go ahead and close your eyes where you are i think there's something deeply profound about what it looks like to keep our eyes on jesus even as we take communion this morning so some of you who are more visual thinkers, this will be easier for you. For some of you, this will be a stretch, but I wanna I want to invite you to just picture yourself sitting at that table the night that Jesus broke bread and he, he gave his disciples the wine to drink. I just want you to imagine yourself sitting right across from him. And as he says to you that this is his body and his blood, which is broken for you, which will be shed for you, to, Redeem and cover a multitude of sins and failures to restore you and your relationship with God. What I imagine happens for many of us as we sit there trying to keep our eyes on Jesus that thoughts and anxieties begin to rush in and fears and worries begin to show up. Doubt begins to show up. Questions begin to show up. sickness in our life begins to show up, loss of loved ones begin to show up, and it isn't that in this moment Jesus calls us to pretend that those things don't exist, he invites us to keep our eyes on him as those things become a part of who we are and what our life is, as the fear about bills and money begin to rush in is the question of who do I even know what I'm sitting across from at this table? He invites us to simply keep our eyes on him. So New Life East, I want you to imagine that in this moment, Jesus hands you this wafer and he says, this is my body, which is broken for you. Every time you eat, do this in remembrance of me. New Life East, would you take and eat? later he hands you a cup and says this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is shed for you would you drink in remembrance that i am not just god in a human body and i am not just a human pretending to be god but i am god in the flesh new life east would you take and would you drink Let's close our time this morning by singing the doxology.
2: Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye, Praise father Son and
1: God has nothing more definitive or final to say about Himself or about us than Jesus Christ, and he is God's yes over our lives. Would you res- open your hands like this and receive this benediction as you go? May the Lord bless you and keep you, brothers and sisters. May he cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, grace, mercy, and peace be with you. We invite our altar ministry team to come forward this morning. If you need prayer for anything, we would love to pray with you. If you'd like to be introduced or reintroduced to a relationship with Jesus, we would love to pray with you about that. Join us for fellowship hour, coffee and donuts. That one connects central. It's good to see you again this morning, New Life East. You are loved. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. We'll see you next Sunday.